Good evening. So good uh, to be with you. My wife and I are just really pleased to come this far south. <clears throat> We're really thankful for uh, just the history that's here and what it represents. And I just pray that tonight and tomorrow will be a time of our hearts being really stirred up as we, we've been listening to the news. We, we hear something of what's going on in the Middle East and North Africa. And uh, as you know, my wife and I have worked in the Muslim context over the past 30 years. And so this is something that's really heavy on our heart. And I pray that this burden will be transferred to each one of us uh, during this uh, weekend together. Uh, it's just been an incredible privilege for my wife and I to be uh, in the Muslim world, especially in Senegal, West Africa, over the past 30 years. And, and, and just to have our faith challenged, not ever uh, in the sense of uh, doubting, but just having to come up with answers, good answers for the many attacks that Islam throws against the gospel. Uh, one, th one thing, I've got my little Quran here. How many of you brought your Qurans tonight? <clears throat> no, I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, uh, there, there's a verse in the Quran that says, chapter 2, verse 23, and, uh, you know, if you ask a Muslim, why, why do you believe the, the, excuse me, the Quran is, is truly the word of God, um, they don't have a lot to say, but as far as proof goes, but here's one statement from the Quran itself. It says, if you, if you doubt what we have revealed to our servant, produce one chapter comparable to it. In other words, the basic argument is that they say nobody can write a book like the Quran. No one. It's, it's in mesmerizing poetry in Arabic, and they say no one can write one like it. Well, that's completely subjective. If I ordered, organize an art contest, and I say you all can enter your, your paintings into this art contest, and, and you do, and I enter mine too, but I'm the judge, and I say no one can paint like me. I get first place. Who can argue with me? You know, it's subjective. Uh, and basically, that's what the Quran is saying, that no one can write a book like it. Well, Muslims, they do not like the Apostle Paul. Uh, so my name is Paul, and I've, <laughs> I've written some books, and you'll notice on the cover it says P.D., Paul Dan, P.D. Bramson. I thought, why turn them off with the very <laughs> first name they see on the cover? But, you know, I think one reason they don't like the Apostle Paul is, is because uh, his writings just completely decimate uh, the, the theological teachings of Islam. And uh, he, he answers that challenge in the Quran with such clarity uh, that I can say of the Apostle Paul and his writings, no one can write writings like that. If you've read Romans chapter 3 and the synopsis of the gospel, you say, wow, no one has ever written anything like that before. And so I just want to begin with a few words from the Apostle Paul, from the Holy Spirit, through the hand of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. Verses that I love... And uh, we're going to be talking about good news for the nations during our time here together today and tomorrow. And this is a, a description of that good news. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart. In, in Greek, that word's aphorizo. It's horizon. We get our word horizon from that. And he said, this is what I'm set apart for. This is my focus. Set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul begins uh, the uh, letter to the Romans. And look how he closes it out. Look at the last uh, few verses. His closing statement there. He says, uh, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so in those opening verses, he talks about uh, the gospel of God. And now he's talking about my gospel. <clears throat> in both cases, he underlines that this is a message for all nations. And he also underlines the basis for this message. It is based on what was written beforehand by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And now in these last days, uh, with the coming of Messiah, he's revealed to us the full story. And we are so blessed here to be on the other side of the cross. The prophets look forward to the coming of a Savior. We look backwards, and, and we have a foundation on which we can proclaim the gospel of God, this good news to all nations. We can turn the lights off now, by the way. Everything we see uh, the rest of time is going to be just uh, based up here on the screen. So uh, we'll just make it as clear as possible. Uh, we went to Senegal in 1981. That's what we looked like with our one-year-old boy. And uh, our family today, we have three children, our oldest son and his wife. Probably all the lights off would be best if that's okay. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be difficult to see, I think. Thanks. Uh, and our daughter and, and her husband and our son, Nate, who's been working in the Middle East. So Senegal is on the westernmost tip of Africa. The capital city is the westernmost tip of Africa. You can see it behind us there. And then we've worked in the northern region on the edge of the Sahara. It's called the Sahel region, the transition zone that stretches from Senegal all the way over to the Sudan. And so you can see it's a dry terrain, uh, the area we live in. Uh, anybody know what that might be a picture of, a mount mountain of? It's uh, peanuts. Senegal is one of the uh, world's largest exporter of peanuts. They know how to load their trucks. I don't know if any of you have ever put a cow on your roof rack, but uh, it can be done. We, we work amongst the people known as the Wolof. Uh, there are about 12 million people in Senegal, but uh, 40% are, are known as the Wolofs, and 80% speak Wolof as a first or second language. So we speak French and Wolof as well. Senegalese eat around one common bowl. Uh, the national dish is rice and fish cooked in a tomato sauce with a variety of vegetables. But one of the obvious features that you see when you come to our country is Islam dominates. 94% are followers of the religion of Islam. From birth, this happened to be a naming ceremony uh, for the baby of one of our neighbors, eighth day, when they give the baby the name, to uh, death. Islam dominates really just about every aspect of their lives. You hear the mosque call coming five times a day. You see the lonely woman there on her prayer mat facing towards Mecca, uh, praying in a language that's not even her language, Arabic, but it's all imposed upon them. As men, especially, get older, up in years, 
you'll find them more faithful to read the Quran, to be there with their, their prayer beads and focus on religion, on their religion since it's work-based and only those who, whose good works outweigh their bad would be granted uh, access into paradise according to Islam. But, you know, because Islam isn't sure, there's no guarantee of salvation in it, so they put a big emphasis on their spiritual leaders, pictures being sold here in the marketplace, and they'll put these pictures of their spiritual guides uh, on their buses, in cars, in homes. Now, this happens to be our tailor, Mr. Njai. <clears throat> it's interesting, you see his little tailor shop there, but what is on his wall actually gives you a window into his worldview. It's not just Islam. You'll see some Quranic verses. Uh, so he learned as a little boy going to Quranic school that God has no son, that Jesus wasn't crucified. You know, he learns the exact opposite of the gospel. But he's a Muslim, uh, a Muslim and he, he uh, adheres to all that. But he would tell you, you know, even though I pray five times a day, I have no guarantee of making it into paradise. And so I follow my religious leader. And there he's got a picture of one of his spiritual guides up on the wall. And, you know, they see these guys as kind of mediators. They're holy men, so they can help mediate for us in the day of judgment. And then over his door, you'll see uh, some little things hanging down there. Well, those are, those are charms. Those are fetishes to ward off evil, dealing with the spirit world. And so, you know, Islam, the Quran says, uh, say not three. God isn't three, he's one. And they reject the Trinity, God's uh, Father, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you can see the Senegalese Muslims have come up with uh, essentially their own trinity. Instead of trusting in God the Father, they know the God, Allah, the distant God of, of Islam. Instead of having the one mediator between them and God, who is Christ Jesus, they come up with their own mediators. And instead of having the indwelling Holy Spirit, they fear the lesser spirits. And so how deceptive is the evil one? But in the midst of the darkness, God is calling out a people for his name. Uh, we worked in Senegal six years before we saw the first person come to Christ. And it wasn't a Muslim. It wasn't a Senegalese even. It was the Frenchman here on, on your left. Uh, he was traveling all the way to India in search of truth. He spent a year there studying Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. And after a year, he decided, you know, these people are more miserable than I am. But while he was there... He walked down the streets of Calcutta and he saw a little sign, Bible House. He walked in on, on an impulse. He says, do you have a Bible in French? They had one copy. He bought it. Eventually, he would travel into Africa, down into Senegal. And we had the privilege of seeing Bruno come to know the Lord. He had formulated this prayer, God, protect me from lies and lead me to the truth. Because he had seen there, there are a lot of lies out there. And he, he there took six weeks after we met him to read through the scriptures, compare the Old and New Testaments, and he found out that our claim was true. All the prophets point to Jesus Christ. Well, then there was Antoine, the guy on the right. Uh, he was the first Senegalese we saw come to Christ out of an animistic Catholic background. And then finally, we saw the first Muslim come to Christ after being in Senegal for seven years. He's the guy in the middle, Malik. Malik was raised in a Muslim home. He prayed five times a day. He fasted one month a year, the month of Ramadan. Uh, he did everything he was supposed to according to his religion, but he would go to bed at night and he would ask himself the question as a young man, where will I go when I die? And he would ask his father, isn't there any way, father, that I can know where I'll go after I die? And his father says, no, only God knows, only Allah knows. He would ask the imam, the leader of the mosque, the same question, same answer, 
Only God knows. You can't know until the day of judgment. He wasn't satisfied with that. Malik had a longing in his heart. And one day he literally got up and said, I'm going to find a book about Jesus. Maybe there's something in Jesus that could give me what I'm looking for. You see, Islam, you heard it, denies the sonship of Christ, denies his death on the cross. But nonetheless, their book says that Jesus was born of a virgin. It says that he's called the word of God, the soul of God. He's called the Messiah. He's said to have opened the eyes of the blind, healed the lepers, raised the dead. And, and he's called the righteous one. Whereas if you compare that with Muhammad, the founder of Islam, you'll find none of those features in Muhammad. Uh, so if you compare feature for feature, Jesus is greater than Muhammad, according to the data, the data given in the Quran. And so Malik had a longing. Well, that's the Holy Spirit working in his life. And the Lord is reaching out to Muslims around the world today in so many ways. Uh, but Malik went looking for a book about Jesus. I have to condense the story. He came into our book room and we were able to talk with him. We gave him the Gospel of John. We began to show him how all the prophets point to Jesus. And within seven months, he confessed Christ as his Savior and Lord. He was kicked out of his home by his father, but the Lord has provided wonderfully for him. He is now the voice for our radio broadcasts, which have been going on for 18 years. Uh, he is married to also a girl who is a former Muslim, three boys. He's a leader in the local church. Uh, God is building his church. We have lots of stories to tell. This was a picture from uh, quite a few years ago, actually. And the church continues to grow now with indigenous leadership. Uh, it's a joy to see some of the children of believers now coming to know Christ and following the Lord as this young man is doing there in baptism. This is our meeting place. It's also a center, a social cultural center, where a lot of different things take place, such as a girls' school. It's a two-year course for young ladies in home economics, cooking, uh, sewing, crocheting, health issues, and they learn the Word of God. These are Muslim girls that are learning the, the scriptures, hearing them taught chronologically as they learn these different skills. And then the, our, the believers there have outreach to street kids. That's a whole other story in itself. Street kids that are basically controlled by the religious leaders. That might sound really strange, but it's another story. And then there's a medical center. And this is a way of touching people in a very practical way. Uh, the, our brother, uh, Yakoba, the, the head nurse there, is uh, looking at one of these little street children, treating his wounds. Here's a guy from a village. We live in a village now when we go back to Senegal. We, we no longer live there permanently, but we go back every year for extended visits. And uh, he happens to be from our village and getting care there. We had a team come last year from uh, Connecticut. And here's a doctor doing special outreach with the treating older people with diabetes and high blood pressure, these kind of things. But you can see him touching the person. And even though they had their blood pressure checked before they came in, I was in there just as a translator. But uh, he says, I always recheck their blood pressure because I want to touch them. There's something about that touch, isn't there? And we would hear these people saying after, they listened to us, they touched us. They felt the compassion. There was one lady that came in, and she was blind, completely blind. And her daughter told us her story. She had, about a year earlier, had gone to the, the witch doctor, actually the Islamic religious leader, but who uses, you know, uh, spiritism and these kind of things. And he put some kind of a white substance in her eyes, some kind of a, a substance, and her eyes turned white and she went completely blind. Uh, tragic story. But uh, would you pray for the Muslims of Senegal, the Muslims of the Middle East and North Africa and all that we hear going on right now, and just 
understand that their religion, that their religious leaders are making them not just not blind physically, but blind spiritually. That God is able. As I mentioned, uh, Carol and I, we lived in this northern town of everything you've seen up till now is, is in a, a town called St. Louis, St. Louis, uh, a town of about 200,000 people. But now that we no longer are based in Senegal, but we're based in South Carolina, we go back every year. Uh, we have a little house in a village, and just 15-minute drive outside of town, and that's where we hang our hat. This is the mosque, the central meeting place in the village. Some of our neighbors, dear friends, all Muslims, but open to hearing the word of God as, as we speak with them one-on-one. Uh, we're seeing the Lord work, and they're beginning to understand some of God's truth. That's our our, our little one-bedroom house. And just this last year, in fact, in January of this year, just last month, we were able to uh, build, finish and inaugurate a medical clinic in our village as well, which is being run by the believers in San Luis, just who are 15 minutes away. I say 15 minutes. That's in a car. Most of the believers don't have a car. It means you go out there and you wait for public transport. And what we do in 15 minutes, they may take two hours for. So you think about those things, too. You know, there are two ways, practical ways, you can really touch people uh, in, 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 a, in a social way that really affects them and their families. And one is obviously medical, medical work, and the other is education. This is the uh, village uh, school, grade school in our little village. And the director of the school and others actually have come to us and said, can you help us? I mean, we just have these grass huts for most of our classrooms, and we have all these needs, and can you help us? So. We are looking right now at ways to actually plug in and help them in some practical ways as the Lord provides. Uh, There's just so much that can be done. And this opens doors. As you show care, compassion for people's physical needs, it opens doors for the gospel. That's a cup of green tea. Uh, That's what the Arabs drink and the Senegalese do too. It's a social time. They have three rounds of tea. The first one's real strong. The next one's uh, less strong. And the last one's nice and just mellow and, and sweet. But it's a, it takes about an hour and a half to prepare these three cups of tea. Uh, but, you know, one of the best ways for gospel outreach is just building relationships, drinking tea with people. Maybe here it's drinking coffee or just being a neighbor to people. That is so big. Now, we had the joy of having our son and daughter-in-law and our granddaughter with us uh, just a few weeks ago, the end of uh, January, 1st of February. And, you know, one of the neat things of having them there was just going for walks. You know, I mean, that's that is a means of outreach. You go and you meet people or you, you visit your friends, you relate to them. By the way, that's our that's the medical clinic in our house, a little compound behind um, Carol. You see in the background there. And so we're going along and just meeting people. And it's a great opportunity to uh, strengthen relationships. This is my village father. Uh, literally, I, he sort of adopted me and me him. And just a great relationship. We go in their house. We sit around. You see a looking, some looking at a photo album over here. But eventually there was opportunity to share with them a, a gospel story. It was wonderful. And they listened intently. Another area of tremendous outreach that the Lord opened for us 18 years ago uh, was, is radio. Uh, we, we started, uh, see the map of Senegal there, with one 15-minute broadcast a week. Uh, for two years, a two-year contract, and I wrote a 100-lesson chronological radio series during that time, which is being used today uh, in about 80 languages. We had no idea how God would use it at that time. And we're on about 18 stations, 
Note, all these stations are owned and operated by Muslims, and yet they accept our radio programs. We pay for radio time, obviously, so they like the money, but they like the programs. You know, the Bible is, 65% of our Bible is, is stories, and uh, people like stories. Stories go under the radar. Who can resist a good story? And so we tell the story, and it fits together to make one story, all the many stories. As we look at the stories of the prophets, and the Lord is using this in a mighty way. Here's one of the radio stations that carries our program, Dunya. Uh, Dunya is Arabic, actually, for world. And you walk in the door, and you see this mural. And here's, like, I guess it's Moses. And he's got, it looks like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? But actually, it's just some Islamic sayings, including, if you look in the middle there, it says, French for, there's no God but God. There's no divinity but God. Well, what they're really saying is, that Jesus Christ isn't God. I mean, that's a tenet of Islam. If you're going to become a Muslim, you have to deny that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And, uh, well, think about that in light of 1 John 4. That's the spirit of Antichrist, isn't it? But the Lord has privileged us to have this series, The Way of Righteousness, and where we present the truth. And little by little, it's, you know, God's word is a hammer and is chipping away at the false concepts. And we could tell you story after story of those who are coming to the Lord those whose hearts are prepared when a, a, a Christian worker meets them and they're ready now to receive Christ because of the, the, the foundation they've had from the scriptures of the prophets. Well, you know what that scene is, 9-11-2001. And, uh, you know, man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, we see what's going on right now in the Middle East and we think it's terrible, and yet God is at work. You know, he always, he always outplays the hand of, of Satan. And uh, 9-11 for us was a turning point in our ministry. I wrote an article called, uh, Does Islam Promote Peace? I used my Senegalese pseudonym. And it basically showed Islam, uh, based on Islamic sources, to be uh, a religion of, of violence and a religion that rejects God's way of peace through, through Jesus Christ. And as a result of that article, I would receive uh, more than 2,000 emails over the next three years. And so eventually I wrote this book somewhere out on the table there. Uh, one God, one message, and we integrate in it, into it these email excerpts from Muslims. And so you, it's a book written for Muslims in, with grace, but also in truth, and allowing them to see this is what we believe, this is what Muslims believe, what they wrote in the emails, but then to compare it with what the prophets have said. Uh, we just came from Kenya. After spending time in Senegal, we went through Kenya and spent two weeks there doing some teaching. And um, the brothers there in Kenya have split that book into eight parts and made a correspondence course out of it, and it's being used widely there. Uh, this is actually a mosque in Kenya, and we have the privilege of being in the home of a Muslim man who's read through One God, One Message, and he is so open. In fact, his father, this is uh, Syed is the name, but his father, when he first read it, he says, I've got to get 100 copies of this. I've got to give it to my Muslim friends. And, and here's, a, here's a Muslim man saying that after we sat in his living room there and I explained to them the gospel using some visual aids that I'll uh, maybe show you a few of them tomorrow that I use in clarifying the gospel. But uh, he, he, he said, thank you for making it so clear. Get this now. He says, this will help us in sharing the message with our Christian friends. Christian friends, mind you. I mean, also with his Muslim friends, but... What he's saying is Christians are so confused. Someone has said the, the church in East Africa is a mile long and an inch deep. You know, There's so many that call themselves Christians. We have the same thing here, don't we, right, in, in the United States. Can you imagine a Muslim friend 
a Muslim man feeling a burden to share this truth with his Christian friends. Talk about confusion. But you you pray for Syed that he might come to really uh, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He still is a Muslim, but he's, you know, embracing truth little by little. But God doesn't leave room for syncretism. We can't serve two masters. You know, another great door the Lord has opened is with Facebook. I mean, you, you've heard what's happened with Facebook in the Middle East. I mean, that's what got this whole thing going in Egypt and Tunisia and Algeria and all that's going on there. Uh, Facebook communication and Twitter and other means. Well, the Lord um, put it in our hearts uh, a year and well, it was back in November of 2009 that Carol and I had gone to Egypt and spent some time there. Our son was working there at the time. And the day we left, the Lord put it in my heart and said, try Facebook ads. Try Facebook ads. You know, we couldn't even give out a gospel track in, in Egypt legally. That's how restrictive they are. But we put a Facebook ad up, just a little ad. That was our original ad, and now we have many that are in Arabic. And, but uh, long story short, when, when someone sees that ad, they click on it, and we pay two cents. That's all we pay. If you have a Facebook ad in the United States, you're going to pay about 25 cents to a dollar per click. All right? You know those little ads that pop up, right? Two cents. We're doing the Middle East. All 21 countries. You see them listed above there. And uh, and then they come to our website, which we have an Arabic friendly part on it. And they can download whole copies of uh, books in in, in, uh, Arabic and other languages. We've already had in the last year, in a few months, we've had more than 34,000 downloads of One God, One Message in Arabic. 34,000. And uh, it's interesting that uh, the number one hit countries, watch this. Here are your number one countries hits. Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, and, uh, and Morocco. These are all countries that have been tremendously troubled. Libya is in the middle there. They're right in the middle of the news right now. We get hits from Libya too. though They don't have uh, the extent of uh, Internet as some of these other countries. But, wow, God has opened a door through Facebook ads. And I, I just want to uh, close with this. Uh, you might know what mountain that is. Mount Everest. It was on May 29th, 1953, 11:30 in the morning. Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay reached the highest point on on Earth. But what people often forget is that they didn't do it by themselves. Uh, there were about 40 men who helped them with the base camps, the assault camps, as they made their way up the mountain, going up and down with supplies. And this little article from National Geographic reminds us that there were about 350 porters that uh, carried 10 tons of supplies to base camp. So you have about 400 people to get two men to the top of the world. And I I would just remind us that they didn't do it by themselves, and neither can we when it comes to the Lord's work. You're here tonight because you care about the Lord's work. And there is so much that we can do. I mean, the opportunities are incredible. We were driving down the road coming here, and I saw that, 184 million jackpot. And I, I asked my wife, what would you do with 184 million, you know, if you won that? I mean, all we could think of was, wow, we'd start investing in ministry to Muslims around the world in, in an incredible way. It's just the opportunities are incredible. And, and, the, and many hearts are seeking. Uh, Muslims, they're crying out right now for freedom. I mean, they want democracy. They want freedom. At a, uh, they want to keep their Islam and still have their freedom. They're not looking for the freedom, the ultimate freedom that they desperately need. But they're not satisfied with where they are. And many of them are crying out for freedom. And you'll, in, the, in our next session, you'll get a sense of that desperate need 
uh, for freedom that, that is inherent in them. Paul uh, could say, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow, for we are co-workers in God's service. And so, you know, we all can have a part in what God is doing. It's, it's his work, but he totally uses people. And here we are tonight with that privilege to be used of him. All right, I know this was a fairly short session, but we can turn the lights on now if you don't mind. I intentionally want to make this one a little shorter so we can maybe take a little more time in the next one and uh, just really work through some really critical things of just understanding uh, what Islam is and where Muslims are uh, in, as they're trapped in the system and also how we can begin to make a difference in sharing the good news with them. So we're going to pick up here in the next session. I don't know, is there a question or two before we sing a song and then continue on? Maybe you have a question you'd like to ask in relation to anything you've just seen. <clears throat> Do we? Uh, certainly through the email ministry we have. Uh, yeah, some pretty interesting threats there. Uh, one of the strongest was uh, what you wrote is wrong in that article about Islam not promoting peace. And if I knew where you were, I'd kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can figure that one out. But no, you know, in Senegal, it's amazing. We have we have great liberty. It's a, it's very unusual in in the among the 50 plus majority Muslim countries in the world in that they grant their citizens religious freedom. So we have a lot of liberty, and we've had stones thrown a few times in film projections and some things that we've done, but uh, we've had neighbors that don't like us very much once they get to really know our message. Uh, But for the most part, it's about good relationships with our neighbors and, you know, really a friendly situation. The real persecution comes to the believers themselves, those who turn from Islam to Christ, you know, you can say, I believe in Jesus as a Muslim, as a, he gives you a great prophet. But the moment you say, I believe in Jesus as my Savior and Lord, there's the door. Get out. I can't have the shame of having a son who's a, a Christian. That's what, exactly what Malik's father said to him. So, Yes. No, that's why we have the freedom that we do. I'm going to talk about Sharia in, in the next session a little bit. But uh, that is, of course, embraced in a lot of countries. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, men. Okay. I, I first thought you said male, because that, that is also a good question. We get very little male. Uh, since, since I thought you said that, I'll answer that first. <laughs> um, we get very little male. But most of the feedback comes just from one-on-one contacts, uh, believers saying, you know, I was going in a boutique the other day, and, 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 and the shop owner says, hey, be quiet. The Yonah and Jup is coming on. That means way of righteousness. And we'll off. Uh, listen, you know. So you get this kind of stuff going on. But uh, both men and women listen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Senegalese still love the radios. And uh, so you have uh, both listening. I would say probably more men listen simply because more of the men have radios and are taking time to listen, but the w- women too, and it's wonderful how God's using that. So, okay, well, why don't we just take a little break with a song and then we'll continue on? Thanks. <clears throat>